Welcome to the 30-Minute Hour. It's the personal development podcast for authors, entrepreneurs, and career professionals who are looking to level up and become unstoppable. I'm your host, Eric Twiggs, your procrastination prevention partner. Joining me as always, you know him as the super CEO, the business strategist extraordinaire, and all-around good guy, Ted Fells. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, indeed. Man, where is the year going? This is the last Monday of September. Pretty, pretty nuts, guys. Like 90 more days left. And this year has just been something else. <laughs> what I haven't told you guys yet, and um, I didn't even introduce me just yet, but what I haven't told you just yet is I actually got bucked off a horse here in Santa Barbara, California in May. It was a Friday. Crushed my spine. Oh. Um, went in the next morning for emergency surgery. Wasn't supposed to be. I had like a 10% chance of walking. And, and, um, I said, no, nope, that's not, that's not what's happening here. And, uh, they told me if I did full recovery, it would take a year to two years. And within three months, um, I have, well, actually it's just been over four months now. Um, I have almost fully recovered. I'm walking, I'm kayaking, I'm hiking, I'm doing all the things. And why I think that's relevant to this conversation is because it has everything to do, I believe, with what we're choosing to believe, whether it's in our relationship with our body, our money, or whatever it is in our life. Wow. Now that, that's an amazing. Now that's, that's nuts. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah, I mean, it just, so it looks like, Ted, this is going to be another one of those, those episodes. It's, it's, we call it, Jennifer, these no excuses episodes. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, because people say, oh, you know, I can't do this because of that. Ah, yeah, I would, but I got this going on. I, I think after watching and listening to this episode, it just takes away your excuses and you're like, okay, what do I need to do to make this thing happen? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, I'll, I'll tell a quick story part of this because I, I spent five years in the hospital. Um, you know, went in for that surgery. And what, what happened was my L2 vertebrae was crushed. And, mm -hmm. and then it crushed into what's known as cauda equina, which are all of the nerve endings come off the spinal cord. So thankfully, I didn't crush my spinal cord. Um, it crushed into the cauda equina, which is what, it's like all the nerves that come into our legs help the functioning of our ability to be able to walk and, you know, our bowel and bladder and, you know, sexual capacity and functioning. And, and so what's interesting about it is it's kind of like, we're, we're like a tree in a sense, we've got this root system that roots us down and that gets all messed up. We may, we may not be able to continue to stand up straight. So they had to put in, you know, two titanium rods and eight screws in my back and, I go, you know, after those five days in the hospital over to a rehab hospital. I was in the rehab hospital for nine days. I'm on, I'm at, I'm at a pain threshold of eight to 10. So in real pain while I'm on narcotics, uh, ketamine, Oxycontin, you know, you name it. I'm, <laughs> I'm on it trying to manage the pain. This the first full day I'm in rehab. I'm sitting in the wheelchair. I can't lift my arms. Uh, I can't put my arms out in front of me like to hug someone I can't really stand um, and I certainly can't walk mm. 
And, and so I'm sitting there in the wheelchair and the nurse and the care technician are in the room and they're about to help me shower and get dressed. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I have a choice right now. I have a choice where I can be like, for me, this really sucks. I wish it didn't happen. Or I'd be like, you know, I always wondered what it would be like to have handmaidens like in Downton Abbey that dress me. And I was like, hmm. I'm going to take on that energy instead. And so I sat back in that and I started to let myself enjoy what was happening rather than resist what was happening. Wow. And, and then I, I let the nurse and the care technician in on what was, you know, what my, what I was thinking. And they got so delighted and excited about it. They started calling me Lady Jennifer and, you know, they would braid my hair and then we would get the essential oils and it became this whole thing with the whole team, the, the physical therapist and the occupational therapist, the recreational therapist, the neuropsychologist, just the whole team started wrapping around me in this way. And it was really like every, every day I was setting a new intention, a new goal okay, I'm going to, I'm going to walk out of this rehab facility with a rollator or better. Okay. I'm going to be off of narcotics by the time I walk out of here and add a pain threshold of you know, four or less. And so every day I was setting these new goals to meet by the third day in, in the rehab hospital, I was climbing 12 steps of stairs mm-hmm. and it was just remarkable that, you know, I did walk out um, of that rehab hospital with a roll later off of all the narcotics and at a pain threshold of 3.5. And just over the last four months have continued to choose these micro intentions and lean into them, live into them and, and the belief system that I can do it. And of course, also, yes, having epic cries, <laughs> being very sad about my back being broken and you know how hard it feels to just stand. Um, and, and yet, like, we get to choose our reality and live into that every single day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't even gotten to what Jennifer's specialty is. I mean, we're talking, I mean, her story is, is, is enough to really grab some true inspiration. I mean, you, you, you know, you have this setback and we've all had these major setbacks at some point in life. The question is, what are you going to do about it? That's right? right. We have the what now movement. So this is this is in line with the what now movement, right? Okay, here's a crisis. What now? That's right. That's yeah, right. And- what, what am I going to live into? What am I going to choose? What reality am I going to choose? Because there's many realities that we can believe and choose. Which one am I going to choose and live into? And I and I think this takes us down the road of even the work that I do, right? If I think back to how I got to be a money therapist. Um, you know, it starts back with my my origin story, my first money memory, right? We all have money memories and the meanings that we're assigning to those money memories. Um, and I'll take it to the three-year-old me, if you'd like. Yeah, let's, uh, I want to introduce you. And then let's, sure. let's yeah. Let's, <laughs> the audience is just like, who is this person? We don't even know. Eric, Eric, we may want to just jump right to the introduction and then go. Yeah. Jennifer, yeah, ready to, Jennifer ready to go. Jennifer's <laughs> ready. She's ready to get this thing going. Absolutely. So Jennifer, she is a wealth philosopher, a money therapist, and the founding CEO of the Living Wealthy Institute. Uh, she's a sought-after advisor to world leaders and international speaker, author, and educator. 
weaving the aspects of our humanity into her garden conversation about the nature of wealth. She's an award-winning five-time career entrepreneur with 20 plus years under her comfy kids. <laughs> Jennifer Love is a thought leader with a heart that matches her name. Please join me in welcoming to the 30-Minute Hour podcast, Jennifer Love. <laughs> All right. Welcome, welcome. All right. So, so let, let's step back a mm -hmm. um, couple of please. I, I want to hear your superhero origin story. But uh, first, what is a money therapist? And why do people need one? I kind of want to set that backdrop first. Yeah, you got it. Well, a money therapist, there, there aren't a lot of money therapists in the world. There are some coaches or financial therapists of some sorts. But a money therapist is someone who really helps you unpack what is going on in your relationship with money and wealth. And, and so what, what are the emotional or the psycho-emotional things that are impacting? Because what we know... And what the science is showing us is that 90% of all of our financial decisions are being made based on our emotions. The three primary emotions associated with money, guess what they are, guys? Well, uh, I would imagine anxiety would be one. Anxiety is a big one. Yeah, fear, anger, and shame. Mm -hmm. And and so do you think if, if you're operating and making a decision about money from a place of fear that you're making a healthy decision? Probably not, right? No. And so only 10% of our decision-making around money is being made from logic or analysis. And so it becomes really important if you want to unpack and understand what's going on, shift the relationship that you're having with money and wealth, to know what's running the show. I call it the story under the story. What's the story underneath the story that you have going that's actually true about why you're in relationship with money in the way that you are? And so that's what I do as a money therapist. I take your hand. I walk you inside with yourself into the greatest adventure of your life, getting to know yourself. And so why do people need one? Well, I mean, I, I feel like that's pretty obvious after all of that, but it's really to have a healthy and thriving relationship with money. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So so let's hear the origin story. Like how did you what, what what were your life experiences that resulted in you becoming the money therapist? Yeah. So that's taken me back to the three year old me. And my father was, you know, fairly successful entrepreneur. And we lived in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma at the time. And this particular afternoon my parents were fighting in their bedroom behind the closed door. I was standing in the hallway listening to them and I could hear my father punching the holes in the walls. And before I know it, he's like, you know, just running down the hallway past me and out the front door of the house. I turn to my mom and I look at her and I go to her she's crying, sitting on the bed. So I crawl up on the bed and sitting next to her are the cut up credit cards. And she looks down at the little three-year-old me and says, your, your father's leaving. He's not coming back and we don't have any money. Hmm. And so that was the day that I witnessed my mom become financially disempowered. It was also the day that I began to take on the story, the meaning around that memory, because it was highly traumatic and emotionally charged of I'm not lovable enough for my father to stay. Mm. And, and I'm, not, I'm not good enough for him to, to help us financially by paying child support. 
right? And so how that began to translate out for me over time was, well, I'm going to set out and I'm going to prove that I'm enough, right? And and so I I did. You know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to prove that I'm lovable enough and I'm good enough. And so I became very quote unquote externally successful. I had, you know, like you kind of said from my bio, you know, five companies that I've started from the ground up, you know, many multi-million dollar companies have invested in some companies, you know, have the press accolades, and the real estate and the money in the bank and all the things, except the problem was that I remember I got to this place in my thirties where, you know, I was bulimic for all of my twenties and that was really running the show, <laughs> running the show. And I, I get to this one particular day where I'm just like, I have all the things that I should quote unquote feel good enough because I've proved myself except that I don't feel still inside good enough. And in fact, I feel emptied out. I became what I call now emotionally bankrupt Mm. because I, you know, I wasn't sleeping two nights a week, drinking two pots of coffee a day, just so we keep working, 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 working. Right. And, and, and this is what we as leaders are often doing to ourselves. And so I really came to this precipice in my life. It's like, there's another way here. There's, there, there's another way of doing this. And, and what is wealth really? It, and, and so I'm on a journey with myself to unpack that. And that's where I've really landed in, you know, this money therapy work because I've had to go back and reclaim it for myself and then helping others do it for themselves too, because living wealthy is an inside out job. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, just hearing your story, we now understand, gives us perfect context as to why you're so passionate about helping people. So, so it sounds like so your father, when he left, he cut the credit cards. Is that? That's what, right. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot to lay in a three-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and my story is not so, like, everyone has their own unique story. But my story isn't so dissimilar. We all have the I'm not good enough story running in some way, shape, or form. I'm not not talented enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't know enough. I can't do enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I mean, my God and God, it goes on and on and on, right? But we all have the I'm not good enough story going on underneath it. And that all comes from these memories, these money memories that started very early for us and how we wrapped and assigned meaning. It's It's that story under the story that I'm talking about. Hmm. Okay. And it sounds like you're having a little bit of a Wi-Fi challenge because the the sound's cutting in and out. Uh-oh. So, um, but but yeah, I mean, we're talking here with Jennifer Love. I mean, what what an amazing story. So so Jennifer, I mean, are you seeing like in your work a lot of generational or ancestral connections to a person's relationship with money? Certainly. In fact, we can actually look at someone's genetics now and see some of this um, and what's happening for them. So for example, I went to, and earlier this year, I went to a company called Aperion and had some of my genetics done. Now I've had my genetics done through, you know, Ancestry and 23andMe and all these. But Aperion is interesting because they're looking at different kinds of um, genetic markers, including you have the worrier or the warrior gene, right? So do you have a tendency towards worry in your life? 
which will I do? So, you know, one of you said early on, like, well, anxiety is probably one of the things that runs the show with money, right? Well, we can actually measure for that. We can actually see that um, in our genes. But, you know, what? what's also interesting is how we like not only carry this down through epigenetics, because that's this that's the study of epigenetics that I just described and how it's carried through to us um, from our ancestors, but also then the programming, right? So if we think of the other side of it, it's like how is wealth actually transferred? Like how is it that some folks seem to have an easier time with building wealth than others? Well, wealth begets further wealth, but it's not always be or through inheritance or assets. It's also because of what we're doing in the early life processes in terms of programming. What are we telling our children? How are we helping them get the education? Are we having money conversations? You know, are we building financial literacy? Are we helping them just a home? Are we helping them get married? Like, so all these things, education, ownership, marriage, that all in turn helps us with the accumulation of wealth and mindset behind it, and then knowing how to manage it, how to be with it, and their own sense of value in relationship to it, right? And so all of that can very much become um, part of the generational uh, relationship that's passed down. Hmm. So, like, like, I know it's common in many households to hear things like, oh, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, you know, we can't afford it. Uh, like, like, does that play into this whole generational connection piece? It absolutely does. Yeah. The things that we hear about money, the things that we see or maybe we don't see, like are our parents, did our parents budget sit down and actually handle money in a healthy way? Or was there a lot of fighting about money in, in the household? You know, what were the thoughts, the things that we heard, you know, rich people are bad or evil, right? We often <laughs> we often might hear yeah. that, right? You know, the in the spiritual and religious communities, often it's 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 a virtue to not have money. Right. There's almost the like, let's be a martyr. Like, you know, of, of course, tithing, I believe in tithing and in whatever sense that makes sense for someone and giving back the contribution. But there's often in, in um, religion or, you know, in families, this sense of like, it's it's a virtue to actually suffer and not have money. Well, that's ridiculous. Right. I mean, what kind of divine being or God would, would actually want us to suffer in that way with money when we actually accumulate wealth? It's kind of like if we go into the garden scenario, like, don't we want to have an, a, a tree that is able to root down deeply and, and grow beautiful, full, luscious, sweet fruit bearing apples? And then those seeds to be buried into, you know, the soil and then grow more fruit bearing trees. Isn't that what we want? And then that can feed more people. And, and so if we take the concept and we kind of break it down, we realize how ridiculous it is, this idea of suffering and martyrdom <laughs> that we as a culture in large part have taken on, especially in certain segments of our culture. And, and so one of the things that I know, because I come from a family of gardeners and farmers on my mother's side, is that, you know, we, in order to really grow, let's say your wealth, but this tree of wealth, right, and we need to make sure that that soil is really nur nurtured, it's, it's, like, it's got all the nutrients it needs, like, talk about self-care, you know, one of the things that 
that I talk about often is that, you know, we think of self-centeredness as being something horrible, like it's selfish. No, actually self-centeredness is incredibly important. In fact, one of the most selfless acts that you can give another is being self-centered, actually going into yourself, taking care of yourself, meditating, breathing, nourishing yourself, healthy food, right? That's being self-centered, grounding yourself so that you have the capacity and ability in yourself to actually be regenerative, right? If we come back to that soil, well, if that soil is nurtured, great, but we also need to get the rocks out of that soil, the boulders out of that soil, because as the roots of that tree begin to root down, it can become suffocated by the rocks and the roots. Well, what beliefs and thoughts or emotions are actually running? What beliefs about money do you have that are becoming these boulders that are creating an inability for your root, your wealthy root system to root down deep so that you can create and, and, and grow this beautiful tree? Make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And so, and you started talking about, I believe you started talking about like the different personalities. I know you talked about, you have the warrior. Are there other distinct like money personalities that you come yeah. across? Yeah, certainly. I mean, in my research, I work a lot with women leaders and entrepreneurs. Um, and so my research primarily surrounds them. Uh, what, I, what I have found is that more than 50% of women leaders and entrepreneurs are what are called money avoiders. So they're saying, hey, I want to make more money, but their behaviors are actually an avoidant behavior. So therefore, they're, they're, they have no idea what the profit margin is. They're not money dates. They're not sitting down and looking at, you know, the dashboard per se. And, and guys, you know this, like when you get into a car with a blindfold on and you start driving, what's going to happen? Not anything that's good. Crash, right? You're going to either injure yourself, like some kind exactly. of thing that's going to cost you a lot of money. Your car's going to blow up. Maybe you're going to go off the side of the road or off the cliff edge. You're going to die. The business is going to go out of business, right? And so, and so we need to understand what's happening in our money. And so if we're not looking at it, if we're not tracking it, and, you know, of course, we all have heard the, the term like what, what gets measured or what gets tracked, you know, measured grows. But it's also like, what is what is happening in ourself? And so if we're avoiding the emotions that are actually controlling the decision making that's happening, and we're not unpacking these kinds of things, then we're actually pushing money away. Like, and this gets into pricing, this, I mean, this just gets into everything. So avoiders are, are a big one. It's more than 50% of women leaders and entrepreneurs that I studied, but are, there's also the status seekers. You know, it's like everything is about, is about, it's like keeping up with the Joneses, right? And so these are the folks who often will be deep, deep in debt just to keep up appearance, um, with, you know, looking like they've got money and wealth, but they put themselves into deep debts. And um, these are also the folks who often will, will get you know, kind of clenched by the get rich quick schemes. Then there's the worshipers that their whole happiness, everything about happiness in their life is dependent upon how much money they have. And the truth is that they can never, ever reach there. They can never, ever get there. And there's the cautioners. And I love the cautioners. <laughs> the cautioners are kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge or 
Burns from The Simpsons. It, you know, it's like the, the miser who like, no, I'm just going to hoard all the money and then like, I'm not going to spend it on anything or anyone. But, you know, it's it's ridiculous. I, I have an example of a client who, who was a cautioner and she went to a trade show. Just, she was a great food company. And she she was going to you know, the first day of the show and she, she decided rather than taking a 30 minute Uber um, or sorry, a $30 Uber to the show, she was going to walk all of this heavy equipment on her shoulders like to get there. By the time she got to the trade show floor, she's sweaty. Her shoulders are hurting. You know, she's like irritable. And I'm like, so how did that actually go with all the buyers that are walking by? Like, do you think that's energetically coming out? Like, at, so like, are you then missing opportunity all because you wanted to save 30 bucks? Like, does that actually make sense? Right. So these are the kinds of, these are the kinds of things that we're doing to ourselves as a cautioner as well. And and there are more money personalities, but those are some of the top um, top ones. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, so you have the money avoiders, the status seekers, the worshipers, and the cautioners. Yeah. Cautioners, otherwise known as a cheapskate. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, of course, the upside to all of these things, right? I mean, cautioners have an upside where they can actually be really great at spending, um, or not spending, like saving. So there, we all have the what I call the basement and the balcony. And so everything in life has that. It's like, how are we being balanced in this relationship with it? So I can imagine here's where it gets interesting. So if you're, you've got a mate, you've got a business partner, one is a status seeker and the other is a cautioner, that's, that, that could bring some friction to the relationship. Oh, Eric, you have no idea. <laughs> maybe you do <laughs> yeah actually working with either business partners or couples and couple them around their relationship with money because we all individually have a relationship with money so you've got your relationship your sweetheart's got a relationship and then the relationship itself has a relationship with money so there are three different relationships with money going on in any given partnership hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I mean, there's a lot yeah. going on beneath the surface. That's right. Yeah. So, so Jim, I need you to help me out. I need your expertise, right? Because there's something that just that just really I kind of wrestle with. Mm -hmm. Like I, I saw this study. There's this book. Uh, it's called The Big Leap by Gay Frederick, and he mentions this study. I've seen this other places. Sixty percent of these lottery winners, they end up going broke, losing all their money within two years. Mm. So based on, and, and, you know, we see similar things with pro athletes, based on your research and study, what is it, what's the common thing with yeah. Larry? Well, we all kind of have this happiness or what I call living wealthy set point. It's like a thermostat. Mm. And, and, and this is where we end up bumping against our upper limits. And, and so yeah, sure. No matter what happens to you, whether it's good or bad, we always tend to return back to that set point, that thermostat setting, unless we do something consciously to change it. And the, so this is why, you know, it really explains why people who win the lottery, you know, you think that they would be super happy. But what happens is, yeah, sure, they are for a while, but then a couple months out, maybe a year, it's been found that they actually return to their original happiness set point. So then what begins to happen is they start to sabotage themselves. Wow. 
they start to do things that brings them back to this this set point that they know even if it's like not really what they want it's where they're emotionally comfortable because that's no that's what they know how to live and do and so then therefore it, be, it becomes again largely about what's running the show what's the story under the story and and we know that through science that the happiness um, set point is really key to it all and we can change it but it is determined by 50 percent genetics and then 10 percent is about our circumstances and so here's what's interesting about this 40 percent of this 10% that's left, so we've got you know 10% genetics and only 10, um, or 50% genetics and only 10% circumstance, and these 40% is our habits and thoughts and behaviors. And so what we can do and what we've come to know through science is that even our DNA, that 50%, is largely influenced by our habits, our thoughts, and our behaviors. So when it comes down to it, 90% of our happiness point, our, our ability to live wealthy, is determined by what? Our habits, our thoughts, and our behaviors. Now, I think this is really exciting because that means that we are actually really pliable. We can actually really do something if we're willing to, and I know you guys are all about this, shift our habits, our thoughts, and our behaviors. Yeah, that, I'm glad you said that because somebody was probably listening and saying, oh, well, you know, I'm... That's just me, you know. I'm a I'm a cautioner, and I've always I just had this. It's genetic, you know. It's uh, generational. But so you so no matter what your generational inheritance was, you can still change things with the right habits. Even though we're inheriting fifty percent of it, we can shift forty percent of that. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's encouraging. That and then you know what? Whenever I see these stats on the lottery winners i always say like i, I want to be a case study right because I, think I, could, I could get a hundred million dollars and be happy and then you check me 10 years from now i'll be like yeah it was a good thing winning the lottery i'm good mm -hmm. <laughs> i'm still i'm still happy, I'm still happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so and so the ideal situation would be to put to put you with that lottery ticket that winning lottery ticket and make therapist to make sure that you do oh absolutely yeah i, I think Having a money therapist would be like the first, should be like the first order of business. <laughs> That's right. Make sure you're making all those healthy financial decisions from the right place inside oh yourself. Oh, goodness. Oh, man. Yeah, I can see that being the first, first order of business. So, so you're the CEO of the Living Wealthy Institute. Mm -hmm. Talk about the process you use to help people to improve their relationship with money. Yeah. There's, there is a process. It's called the living wealthy process. And really the first step is what I call foraging. It's like going foraging inside yourself. It's really unpacking what is. It's that story under the story and getting clear about what's running the show, right? And from that place, then it's like, well, okay, what are all the scary monsters under the bed, which we all often don't want to look at. And yet, guys, when we do, it's like not as scary as we think. It's actually really quite liberating, right? And then we move into this space that I called sharing, like, because some of the beliefs that we hold onto, like, are not even ours or not even true. I have this really awesome process I walk um, through with some of the workshops that I do. 
and it, it's a log where we we look at like what is the inner critic what is the inner critic saying you to you you track it for a couple of weeks you know, every day look at what the inner critic's saying we come back you know what i find that often more than 50 percent of the inner critic voice is either not yours or it's not true and then we can flip the script on that and compost it so we want to con we want to share away what's true, what's not, what's yours, what's not. And that's when we can then move into this phase of metamorphosis. This is where we begin to really release. We begin to really open and allow. This is where forgiveness comes in the door. Often we need to grieve. There's a real grieving process. And there's an accessing of compassion that needs to happen. This is where we get really gooey, kind of like, like a caterpillar crawling inside of a chrysalis and like releasing its digestive enzymes and breaking itself down into nothing so that it, it becomes this new form and takes, you know, it can take this new form. It's like really emptying out ourselves from all the bullshit that we was running our life and from that place then we step into the blooming phase and this is where really accepting true self-acceptance comes in acknowledgement i find that so many people feel like they don't matter right that they're not being heard that they're not being seen that they're not mattering so there's a whole acknowledgement process that becomes important and leaning to your truth and attaching to your real desires and attracting so these are there's like a real integration process here and this is where we can really step into manifesting and becoming that beautiful butterfly that knows how to soar and fly and on the other side of that then we yield right? The yielding, the living our truth and, and becoming and embodying that healthy wealth stewardship with a really high rate of return in our life. This is where we harvest. And so that full process is, is really what living wealthy is all about and what is required. Hmm. And, and so talk to us about the imposter syndrome, right? Mm. I'm sure I know you work with world leaders and people who have a significant amount of wealth, like what role does the imposter syndrome or people that feel like they have this imposter syndrome play in having a bad relationship with money? Well, it plays in really for, for all of us in some way, shape or form. You know, we often think the imposter syndrome is just for those who what I call the wealth seekers. You know, there are the wealth seekers and then there's those who are quote unquote already wealthy, right? And, and yet I, last year, all of last year I was working with a private client and she, she, six years before she had taken over her family business. When she took over her family business was at 10 million, not shabby, cool. But in six years, she took it from 10 million to 573 million, like amazing, like really incredible. Right. Except just kind of like similar to my story. She emotionally bankrupted herself in that process and complete burnout had to take a year-long sabbatical. What was interesting in unpacking my work with her, seeing this imposter syndrome, was that even though she was responsible for growing her family's wealth, she didn't feel like she deserved it. She felt like she was still indebted to her family because somehow there was this story of this imposter syndrome running underneath the show for her. So it's not just about those who are trying to step into um, to wealth. It's also going on for those who are already quote unquote wealthy. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I know that that's a common thing. Just people I've talked to 
that and and the people that that deal with this imposter syndrome, you would you would be totally shocked. That's right. They they've got it going on. They've had a lot of success, but deep down, they don't feel like they deserve, like you said. So That's right. I think just having a money therapist or having someone you can talk to, uh, you know, mentor. Uh, you know, I think that's critical. Uh, so, so what about the person who they want to improve their relationship with money, but they don't know where to start? Yeah. Like, what I advice do you have? I love this question. So I've got a few, what I call inquiries, like we need to do some self-examination. The first place we start is going foraging. That's the first step in the living wealthy process. We've got to unpack what is. Right. And so I'm going to give you a couple of questions and, and I'm also going to give you a recommendation on something that you can do. So two questions, self-examination questions. One, what are you avoiding in your relationship with money because you're afraid to look? Mm -hmm. wow. Next question, where in your life are you making yourself not matter? Okay. Ask yourself those two questions. You're going to start to see a lot. You know, the next thing I'm going to encourage anyone who's listening to do is to start to track every single day for 14 to 30 days, track all of your financial transactions. I mean, write it down in a journal, write it down in a journal. And what are the emotions associated with those financial transactions? What's going on with how you're spending money emotionally, right? Start there. And that's going to take you. That's going to take you into some interesting understanding about what's running the show for you. That's, that's, that's pretty interesting. So I would, I would think in a situation like that, if you're a, you know, if you're spending money on something that you like, right? Like there's this car or this, you know, this suit or whatever dress or something that you want, you probably feel really good when you spend the money uh -huh. versus, versus you got to pay a bill. Right, I got the I got the student loan I gotta pay, or I got, you know, some other expense that I have to pay. It's probably like, uh, probably well, check. That's right, and and that's right, Ted, and one hundred percent. And even something like, let's say, the suit, like, is the suit? Are you trying to? Are you purchasing the suit that's trying to make you feel good? <laughs> because there's an underlying need going on that you're trying to fill some void for by purchasing something in your life. Well, that's pretty interesting. You know, I, I think a lot about uh, social media mm -hmm. and, and looking at what people post, right? Yeah. They bought a, they bought a new boat, they got a new car, they got a new something, right? A house. Yeah. And that, you know, that purchase is, you know, <laughs> something that makes them feel good, but I think they, a lot of times people want that um, that validation. That's right. That once they put that hot new car out there, or that new home out there, that they get X amount of likes <clears throat> and comments about how wonderful it is, which will make them feel a certain way. That's right. That's right. But if and you that, bought that, that's the stuff that we want to look at. Like those are the things that we want to understand running the show because then then from that place of awareness we can say wait a minute maybe there's another choice that i can make here maybe there's another possibility here is it really what i want to choose for myself because if that's putting me into a cycle of debt for example do i want to keep doing that mm. 
Yeah, I mean, this is just fascinating stuff when you start to get into the science of it and what really causes people to make the decisions that they make. So, so right. Jennifer, what's next on the horizon for you? Mm. Well, season two of Nature of Money is in process. So I launched a um, show this, this year. We launched our first season. So we're working on season two right now. And I am in process of writing a book. Very excited about that. We've got a couple of um, workshops, 100 Days of Manifesting, which I love this workshop series because it, it the magic of what people bring into their life through this workshop series is incredible. Um, and so I'm really excited to wrap up the year with, with that. And those are a couple of things we've got coming up on the horizon right now. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. So, so now it is time to go around the horn. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the part of the program where we each leave that closing thought that we want people to remember about this show to help them to become unstoppable. So Jennifer, you are our guest of honor. So, so what is your closing thought that you want to leave the people with? Yeah. Encourage you. In fact, I dare you. I dare you to take the greatest adventure of your life into exploring the story under your story so that you can expand your liberality and step fully into living wealthy from the inside out. It is from that place that you will grow true wealth that lasts generations and the test of time. Mm. Wow, that's profound. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> How am I going to follow something like that? Like that is definitely, definitely, you know, profound. I mean, I kind of, you know, go back to, you know, again, you know, just, you know, just, I think everything around, you know, you know, you spend are you spending the money? You know, you're doing it because, you know, you're doing it for validation, right? Is that, is that, is that the, is that the thing, right? That really yeah. kind of gets you, get you going is it is it for the oohs and ahs the likes and all of that or is it something that's a you know there's generally a you know a, a, a need and you know and the value that you that you put on it i mean you know you know actual wealth i mean you know what doesn't necessarily mean that you're that you have a whole bunch of the oohs and ahs things right that you have you know money to, to that you could do those things if you choose to Right, but you don't necessarily have to do it for validation that you know that you built wealth that's you know that could be generational wealth. And so and I mm-hmm. think that that's something that uh you know that we should uh you know strive towards. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So so my around the horn has to do with this quote from Abraham Maslow where he says that. We're controlled by those things we're unaware of. And, and I think this just the things that Jennifer has brought up about your money personality and some of the genetic things working behind the scenes. And when you start tracking where you're spending your money and what's the emotion you're feeling. I mean, all of it, the goal is to heighten your awareness. Now, once you're aware, you can make better decisions in the future. But you, I think you have to see the patterns first. And I think that, that's why it's great that Jennifer brought that up. And hopefully we've been able to heighten people's awareness 
to their money personality and their money habits. And if they're right now, if you're suffering from the imposter syndrome, uh, that you're not an imposter, you're, you're the real deal, you know, but the key, it, it goes back to awareness. And, and I do think it helps to have an outside person that you can talk to, to really unpack these things. You know, and I, I just think that the idea of a money therapist is just awesome. So I, I think you need to you need to get in contact with Jennifer, and she can help uh, make sure you're on the right road. So, so Jennifer, how can people? Cause I know, I mean, people are just going crazy right now. I got people on IGTV, I got people on the Facebook page, on LinkedIn. They're listening on Apple Podcasts. How can they connect with you to get more information? Yeah, well, one great place to start is going to jenniferlove.com. You can hear Maggie in the background here with me. <laughs> um, and on jenniferlove.com, right at the top, you'll see the Living Wealthy Quiz. And that's going to give you a nice little diagnostic of where you are in what I call the four different wealth zones. What's running your show? And then we give you some, like on the other side of that, we give you your results and some recommendations of things that you can do to support yourself in that. So start there. Um, also, come hang out and play with me on Instagram. I'm the Jennifer Love on Instagram. And also, if you want to hear more of these kinds of stories and, and how I'm talking as a therapist, head over to Nature of Money, um, wherever you find podcasts. All right. Well, good. I mean, they, so our goal on these episodes, we want to help you to laugh, to learn, and ultimately to level up. So if you feel like we've accomplished this for you today, please make sure you share the show. Share the show. Even if you even if you don't think we accomplished it, share the show anyway. We appreciate you sharing. <laughs> Just do it. Just do us a favor we'll, and share it. Anyway. We'll, try, we'll try again next time. Give us a shot. <laughs> and, and, and coming full circle in this, like, you really can choose your reality. What reality do you want to choose in your life and step fully into that, whether it's with your money, with your body, with your relationship with food, with your relationship with others? You can choose the reality. And it starts where these guys have already mentioned, like it starts with really taking assessment, going foraging and packing what is so that you get clear on the choices that you can make in your life. You are empowered. You can empower yourself and you can take the keys to your power back by understanding and witnessing, becoming witness to the reality of what's true. Mm. Become a witness to the reality of what's true. That's something else. <laughs> that, that might show up on a tweet somewhere. That's right. That's, that's right. <laughs> like it's like I always say, you got to become that's a witness <laughs> to the reality of what's true. Like twig, that's profound. I'm like, yeah, you know how I do. <laughs> <laughs> just a little, just a little something I put together. <laughs> <laughs> something I put together unassisted. You know, yeah, that's, that's, what, I that's, right. that's what I do. That's what I do. What I do. <laughs> oh my goodness, you guys! <laughs> no, Jennifer, we, we will definitely uh, give you the credit for that quote for sure. That, that certainly is going to help some people. So, yeah, th this is this has been an amazing episode of the Thirty Minute Hour Podcast. I mean, this is one of those where you need to you need to listen to again 
because I think you'll find yourself in one of the personalities or something, something that she said, you'll get an idea to improve your relationship with money and you'll find that it's now flowing your way in a way that it's never done before. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, so you can listen to this episode again on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, any of those other places you like to listen. Again, don't forget, if you, you want to watch us, you can watch on Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube, or even IGTV by going to the 30-Minute Hour Instagram page. Again, thank you to Jennifer Love for everything that you shared and for, for helping our, our followers to get to that next level and to become unstoppable. This has been a fine episode. Thanks so much for having me, guys. And the next time I'm in the D.C. area, we will go get that dinner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Eric cannot wait to pay for that. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, my my relationship with money is so good, I'll let Ted pay. That's that's where I am with money. That's it. That's it. I don't feel bad if Ted wants to take it. You want to protect it. You want to protect it. I want to have more of it. You want to hold it close. You want to hold that money. You want to hold that dollar close. Exactly. All right. <laughs> well, continue on your, your your road to recovery. Your story again was amazing. We appreciate Absolutely. you. Thank you, Ted. Sharing that as well. Your prayers appreciate and to you on that. Appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, I echo that. And until next time, 